There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity, which provides inspirational speakers and work experience opportunities. I'm Alice Thompson. And I'm Rachel Sylvester. And in this podcast, we talk to extraordinary people who've lived astonishing lives. Why is it that often the people with the hardest beginnings in life become the most successful adults? And is there something to learn from these people who perhaps have the strongest sense of what matters most? In this series, we'll be speaking to a collection of remarkable individuals about how they achieved success in the face of adversity. Welcome to What I Wish I'd Known. In this episode, we welcome Jamie Wood, stepson and former manager of the Rolling Stones guitarist Ronnie Wood. Jamie grew up in the shadow of his parents' rock and roll lifestyle. His mother, Jo Wood, and Ronnie became a couple when Jamie was only two years old. And despite meeting his biological father later in life, Jamie always saw Ronnie as his dad. But having a rock star as a father who took naturally to the sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle meant Jamie's childhood was a precarious, unpredictable roller coaster. Jamie remembers how Joe and Ronnie would often be wrapping up a party as he poured his morning cereal before school. He'd sometimes wake up to celebrities in his bedroom. Ronnie was clearly keen to show off his A-list pals to Jamie. But Jamie yearned for normality. Everyone's fake in, in, in the world that I was in. It was everyone would say things, even to a kid, and lie and, and not do what they said. Or they were trying to impress my dad by saying things to us and never deliver. So I got a bit disheartened with lots of, uh, of his friends. So Rachel, what did you make of Jamie's early childhood? The strange thing is he was living in this kind of parallel universe to his parents. So it was almost like they were in different time zones, actually. He'd be coming back from school and they'd be just waking up. He'd be going off to school and they'd be going to bed. And in lots of ways, it was very glamorous. He'd had all these rock stars and movie stars around. But I think he just wanted it to be more normal. Well, he found when he was 14, didn't he, drugs in his dad's drawer. And there must have been drugs around the whole time. And even when he drinks water when he's older, he realises that actually the water he was drinking when he was little was quite often tainted with the, the residue of drugs from parties or alcohol. I took off the foil and when I drank the water... I had this sort of deja vu from when I was a kid. Because what mum and dad used to do is they'd party doing that all night, leave the glasses on the table. I'd come downstairs and I'd drink the glass thinking it was glass of water. And it wasn't, it had been smoked with crack through it. A deja vu. And I sort of, at that point, felt that this was my calling. I'm supposed to do loads of drugs. So he gets sucked into this more and more unstable lifestyle. He gets expelled from school. He's deeper and deeper into drugs. And he sort of becomes friends with people who aren't really his friends. 
And then he has this sense, doesn't he, about the common people. So he talks about these common people as if he's in a completely different world and he's desperate to be normal. And when he goes to university, he wants to fit in. And, and it's a sort of desperate yearning to to be like everyone else rather than this rock star's son. And then he has a heart attack and it's a kind of real wake-up call. It wasn't even a pain, it was like a dull ache. I said to my wife, you massage me. She gave me a little massage and then uh, I was sick. Then I went to bed, some lemsip and a joint. Stayed in bed for two days, you know, got out of bed, said, I'm going to go to work. I worked in Fitzrovia, so my wife said stop at Harley Street. Got to Harley Street, went to the doctor. Fire alarm went off, so he went outside and he's gone. No, I said, I'm going to go. And he's gone, no, 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 come do an ECG. Went to the ECG, come back, because you're having a heart attack. And he ends up completely changing his life. He comes face to face with his own mortality. And he set up his own CBD company called Woodsies. CBD is the non-psychoactive ingredient of marijuana, which some people say has medicinal benefits. But it's as if he's come full circle, so it's drugs, but in a positive health-giving sense. And I think he's very proud of, of the father that he's become to his own four sons. So his extraordinary upbringing is something he doesn't want to repeat. He wants them to have a very secure, safe childhood that he's learned from the mistakes of his childhood. And he's putting it to very good use, really, for the next generation. So, Jamie, what's your earliest memory? Was there always music in the house when you were growing up? Yeah, annoyingly so, yeah. Unfortunately, always in the, in the evening. So it would would go to bed, you know, school, come back from school. Mum and dad would just be sort of waking up <laughs> at about <laughs> four or five in the afternoon and then get back and then have dinner and then would put us to bed and and then you, it would start, you know, the doo, 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 and then it would go on all night. And, you know, three or four, regular occurrence, waking up three or four in the morning, going downstairs, please turn it off. <laughs> Please. So yeah, I grew up. I grew up hating <laughs> music, especially the Stones. Dad was very good at playing himself over and over again. So did so, you hate? And what if you hear it now? You hate yeah, it? No, there's a couple of songs that like. <laughs> Which are the ones you like best? Oh, it's got to be uh, "Painted Black." Probably was the one that I like best. That's the one. And Dad used to come off stage and go. That was always a song that Dad would come off and go. You know. That was for you. That was for you, sort of. Uh. I thought of you when that was being played and all that. So that was cool. That was cool. And your uh, biological father was a clothing entrepreneur, Peter yes, Green. But Peter you were Green. raised by Ronnie. Do you, do you yeah. treat him? Is he really your yeah. father? Well, Peter, I didn't really know until much later. I, I, I met him. I remember him coming out to LA when my someone died. I think it was my, it was my gran, it turned out. But I never really knew her either. But she died. He came out. I, remember, I was four years old. I remember sort of big hairy dude and then I didn't really see him again and so I was always grew up with with Ronnie as what I thought was was dad you know so uh, only until I got we moved back to England when I was about 12 and then I came downstairs and there he was again (laughs) your biological yeah so uh he took me to uh that's when they sort of announced that it sort of clicked that this was your biological father but never dad it was always Peter and so oh. he started taking me to a couple of Arsenal games which is the only real credit <laughs> I can give him <laughs> so he got me into Arsenal so uh he started and taking you, me to a few did games. Did you have any, any kind of feelings you know relationship no, with him or was it no, you no. just? No, we tried during the Arsenal mm. during the Arsenal days there was a little bit of uh thing you know funny enough I did feel quite natural talking to him probably more natural than Probably, probably Ronnie, but Ronnie was, you know, very high. 
<laughs> all the time. So very difficult to have any sort of uh, father-son moments for sure. Yeah, are there okay. anything you can remember? Like, did he ever read you a bedtime story or take you to oh, sport? One I always remember quite is quite cute. We were me and my sister woke up. We would go to school, New York taxi in New York, West 78th Street. Had to get to 91st to get to, get to school. Uh, school bus, we missed it. So we were, we were up, we were late. Dad was still up, running around like <laughs> in the New York in the 80s, I think. We, we couldn't get a cab and, and he decided to run 10 blocks at seven in the morning in New York to a limo company. And he uh, he came back, and as he came back with the limo, we were just pulling off in the cab. No. Yeah. So yeah. you never got the limo? Never got the limo, but we did see the limo pulling up and him getting out and going, and it was too late. We were already, already done. But he road. never made your breakfast or anything? No. <laughs> Bedtime story? No, mum was very, very, mum was, mum was, as much as there was all the madness going on and the all-night parties and the, the 80s and Richard Pryor and all these people, John Belushi, and there was always someone in the house so that mum did keep it pretty good. We had nannies and stuff, but mum was always, I didn't feel that she wasn't there. I always felt that we grew up more with mum. But dad was sort of locked in the toilet for <laughs> a few years. Yeah. Oh, your mum, she's called Jo. Yeah. How did she meet Ronnie? What happened? Do you know? Oh, the, the, I think it was somewhere like Tramps or something back in the, in the 70s. And I think she was a model. She separated from Peter which is my dad didn't last long I think it last two years I think 18 months and then the, so she was out and about doing her thing and modeling and doing all that I think he met her at chat and she she didn't like him so she said that she worked at the broken biscuit counter at Woolworths <laughs> which he then proceeded to turn up at <laughs> and then found out she wasn't there then found a friend of hers and then finally got to her and then and then I think the rest was history. Really, they started dating, and then he whisked her off on tour. I got left in 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 England at my nan's for a couple of years, while they gallivanted on around the world. So yeah, that's how they met. So that was good. So what was she like as a mother? Did she focus so much on Ronnie that in a yeah, way she a ignored of, you? A lot of a lot of Ronnie focus, but I always felt the love. Hmm. You know, I know that was uh, they'd go away, they'd go on tour. They wouldn't bring us on tour. I was, me and my sister were young. I was, I was four, she was one. We sort of stayed at home, went to school, and then they'd go away for sort of three to four months and and come back basically. So they were, that was mad 70s and eight, early 80s. That was that was trouble. Mm. That was well, trouble when did you time. first meet Mick Jagger and mm. Keith Richards and the whole crew? I don't know. They were always, just, always sort of around, weren't they? That Keith was more prominent in the family. He was more... There, to tell me off, and you know, he was there a lot, they, especially in LA. And then uh, Mick, no, Mick wasn't really about. I didn't really. Mick was always sort of over there, you know, untouchable. So he was. In, I wasn't very sociable either. <laughs> so yeah, but never really uh, engaged with him too much until I got older. When I got older, I was very much more out with him. Went to a few clubs with him, a few parties. You want me to do a few naughty things for him? You know, <laughs> them things. <laughs> did you used to watch the Stones rehearsing? When did you realise the rehearsing, rehearsing was cool? Yeah. Lots of backstage stuff. I mean, difficult. I was trying to remember, but there's lots of. Uh, there was a big gap between eighty and eighty one and eighty nine, where I think Nick and Keith fell out. Then eighty nine, they came back with a vengeance, and 
haven't really stopped since then, really. Mm-hmm. But the rehearsal's always cool. I, I worked for Dad when I was about 20, driving him up and down from Toronto as a driver and all that sort of stuff, trying to get in there a little bit. Can you dollar. remember the first time you realised that they were famous? No, really. It doesn't really, because it was always there. Mm. Did you know you were different quite young? I know that he was different. I know that. I know that. Thing. I, I didn't like it though. I never really liked that attention. I suppose I was always good at talking, but I never really liked the limelight. And I didn't like the people either. Really associated with with everybody. I remember when I was sort of, uh, I came to London, moved to England, and I was very much involved. Sort of, I was a bit more on the street, sort of thing. I was out with the naughty boys, sort of about smoking weed and getting in trouble and stuff, and. I, I was a real admirer of 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 how the other half lived, of, of how the sort of more common people lived. The non-famous lived. Yeah. people. Yeah, they were more. They seemed to be more real, grounded. I was always, always jealous of, of their long-term relationships they had with each other. The, the guys, my friends, they would know each other since they were two or three years old at school, and or on a council estate or something. They had that. They grew up tight, and then I, I never really had that. So I really liked that about that type mm. of loyalty that being and also everyone's fake in 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 the world that I was in it was everyone would say things even to a kid and lie and and not do what they said or they were trying to impress my dad by saying things to us and never deliver so I got a bit disheartened with lots of uh, of his friends so when you people. were growing up did you sort of yearn for boredom and normality in a way because yeah. some people would think it must have been incredibly yeah, I, fun very but... much for friends very yeah. much for friends that were loyal and and trustworthy and i thought the only way you could really get that was by time like mm. so if i'd known you since you were two then i can trust you when i'm 15 something so i was always envious of, of my friends that had that whereas i was always dragged around different country all right we're, we've been in paris for three years we're leaving now mm. you know we've been in new york for four years we're leaving now mm. we've been in la for five years we're leaving now so it was always leaving now mm. so when i finally got to england when i was about 12 and you know, got into the wrong crowd completely. Yeah, I mean, completely the wrong crowd, nightmare crowd. But, you know, my parents, they, they weren't really there. So when you leave some, when you leave your child to its own devices, it's a flip of the coin on how they're going to turn out. Yeah. You know, if you leave, you can't do that. You know, I've got four children now and, and I do not leave them to their devices ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Because you know. Because you know, you know you're going to make the wrong call. You know they're going to do the stupid, something stupid. So... I try and be, I'm there, hands on. Did the other parents, were they nervous of you? Were they nervous of your dad? Did no, they... I never had a sleepover ever. They were not allowed in our house, dude, especially in the 80s. No really? way. Oh, yeah, I used to go to my mum, can Janu or Luke come over? And I first, no, parents said no. Really? Oh, yeah. So how did that make you feel? I didn't really realise it was because of the sex, drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> but the children must have wanted to come over because it sounded quite yeah, exciting. Yeah, they, it was an exciting house. You could do what you want. It was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah, very much, no, I think maybe I would have been the same. Mm. You are not going around there. You can go around there for a few hours, but you're not staying the night. You know, and probably for good reason. I'd be, I would wake up and, you know, dad was overexcitable at the best of times. He, I'd wake up and 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 Duran Duran was standing over my bed, the whole band, going hi, you know. Or Michael J. Fox was sitting in the bedroom when I woke up. You know, it was quite creepy. Yeah, <laughs> creepy, but strange. You know, strange. But again, it was it was very much that's what Dad did. Dad bought 
bands into mm. your room or, or you know and were they playing or, or just standing no no just there? standing there high <laughs> you know you went to 17 schools didn't you yeah that, something it like that. must have been I think my mum pulled me on that the other day she, I'm sure it's not 17 I think it, she might be right and it might be 15 but okay. you know I was all but just uh, but what impact do you think that had on you Probably not a great one. Mm. <laughs> not a great one for the education anyway. I don't really were you get normally it expelled or was it because you were moving on? Expelled or? one. Twi- once for, for I sold hash. I was, a, I was a very posh boarding school and I sold some hash to uh, one of the members of like royal family or something. <gasps> and they had a panic attack on this hash. And, and the next thing they, they carted me off into, into the sanitarium, locked me in there kicked me out so yeah that was uh that was one of them but lots of schools in america in america i was really smart i was like a genius but then when i came to england i was behind so uh, it was it was difficult the, the education system's a lot different i had to here i had to write essays there i just had to tick boxes yeah. so <laughs> it was a big difference in in, edu- in education so i got here i fell behind and I was supposed to go to King's School in, uh, in Wimbledon and uh, I didn't get in and then ended up going to the boarding school, got expelled, let me out. And then I sort of came to sort of South London on on the streets there for a bit, you know, and got so, in trouble. So how old were you, going back to when you were younger, how old were you when you first realised that drugs were in the house or became aware of drugs as an <sighs> issue? Not, probably not until I took drugs. I, I found a large bag of cocaine when I was about 14 in my dad's drawer and I took it out for a big, I, took it, I was everywhere with this stuff, I didn't know what it was. I was throwing it around. And, and Did you have no idea what it was? Not really. I knew what it was. I'm sniffing it. I was doing anything I can with it. And I, 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 put, I put it on a glass with the tin foil on and I, and I put it on there and I was smoking it through the tin foil on the glass. Afterwards, I took off the foil and I, I drank the water for some reason. <laughs> And when I drank the water, I had this sort of deja vu from when I was a kid. Because the water, because what mum and dad used to do is they'd party with doing that all night, leave the glasses on the table. I'd come downstairs and I'd drink the glass thinking it was glass water. And it wasn't, it had been smoked with crack through it. So that taste. From when you were a yeah, tiny it was like child. Yeah, it was like a, a deja vu. And mm. I sort of, at that point, felt that this was my calling. I'm supposed to do loads of drugs. That's that's what. <laughs> Did anyone sit you down before when you were younger and say anything about drugs or say they might be dangerous? Or uh, Dad did. Okay. So did he say don't take? Would he say be careful? No, I said two. I had two bit two 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 occasions. One was in Antigua. I was 17. I just met a raster outside the hotel. I gave him a hundred dollars. He gave me a sack of crack. <laughs> I went to the bedroom. I'm smoking it with my girlfriend at the time for a couple of days. I think dad got a little bit of a wind of it, came into the room and there was like crack pipe smoking, and smoke on the room. I'm going like, he's coming in, he's telling me basically, you know, don't let the drugs control your life, you control the drugs right. type thing. And then a couple of years later, Keith Richards came to me with a bit of advice. God stepped up with drug taking and he came to me and said, um, there's a difference between scratching your ass and tearing it to pieces. Really, but did that have any effect on you? Yeah, that did. No, that okay. did. That that little bit of advice did. Didn't we? Not at the time, but certainly later on, I use that a lot now. But on the other hand, is it true that when you were ten, you stole Keith Richards' joint from the ashtray? Yeah, or... yeah. So yeah, well, I used to do that a lot. They weren't exactly setting a great example. No, no. But it was they were they were you know 
part. There was yayes in New York. You know, it was full on. There was people break dancing in the street. There was everyone that was around our house was there for partying. You know, from Michael J. Fox to Christopher Reeves. I came downstairs once, and he was asleep on the sofa, like out cold. I think he had sick on him, and he was in a bad way on the side. And it was Superman okay. at the bottom of the stairs. I was seven years old. No, I, I ran upstairs. I ran into Mum's. What have you done? You've killed Superman. <laughs> He's dead on the sofa. Kryptonite can't do it, but you did. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he would, that was scarring for a little while. <laughs> and boarding school must have been really weird after New York. Yeah, boarding school was weird. I didn't really know what was going on. I got there, and they would call me Kevin. And or Trevor, so I was like I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, I couldn't really figure it out, and it was because I didn't talk posh. Oh, I so see. So Kevin or Trevor's common. So all the kids were like, you're like, used to take the piss out of me for wearing white socks and stuff because white socks were common for commoners. It freaked me out. Yeah. So, but I uh, I was good there, and then uh, then I sort of took over by selling drugs to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've become the man. So, yeah, I was the man there for a bit. A few of us, were, I used to run away to South London and Port Bella Road and grab a stash and come back to school and uh, sell it really expensively to all the rich children. Right. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> so when did you become aware that you were kind of getting addicted? And to did... which one? <laughs> I mean, I loved, I loved, uh, and I, I still do, I love cannabis was, was always really my thing. And then obviously it leads on to, to other harder things and you know I left school when I was 16 and then I was in the wrong crowd and then that was right right during the ecstasy time mm. in 89 90 it mm. was great I went to Ibiza I was 16 I stayed there for four months I was munching pills and going to all the best parties it was fantastic and then uh, I came back from there and then you know raved a bit longer in it and sort of acid scene in London for a bit you know, you start getting into other things. So you start, you start, you get back home from taking a load of pills and then someone pulls out a bag of smack and said, this helps you get down. So you get into a vicious circle and then before you know it, just doing all sorts of shit. So, what would you say now, do you think, to someone, a child who is dealing to your children? Yeah. Would you think, God, what's happening in your life? Mm-hmm. Or would you be like, keep away? I'd hope that they would be buying the drugs off me for starters. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <laughs> not a drug dealer. We're coming to daddy for the right stuff. But, um, you know, listen, I've done it before. My eldest, you know, I've, I've, I've made sure that he's had, when he was going to Reading Festival, and they have better things now at the festivals now. You can go and test your drugs to make sure you're not going to, there's no poison in them and stuff. And the stuff that they put in them is, is more worrying. And that's why drugs should be, all drugs, in my opinion, should be legal because then you know what's in them. You know, I mean, edibles, for example, cannabis edibles are coming to the UK now and they, they're coming in these beautiful packs and they look like sweets. Now, if my son got, my seven-year-old got hold of one of them, mm. and that's a, that's, that's a life-changing experience mm. he's going to go through. Mm. You know, there's not much you can do. You have to let them go through what they're going to go through. You can guide them through it. Like my, my eldest son, he started going to raves and festivals and taking drugs and stuff. And I was concerned and, and, and thankfully he threw up a few times, hated being sick and he's never touched it since. Mm. So that's good. And then my 18 year old, he would never go. He's a boxer, so he would never go anywhere near anything like that. But you can't control them. Once they hit 18, mm. it's very difficult to tell them what to do. You sort of got to try and 
hopefully by that time have that relationship with them where they there's a mutual respect and and you can overcome things together and do you think in your childhood you were almost trying to join in or were you sort of looking for comfort or trying to escape the world because yeah, your family had yeah, sort difficult. of abandoned you yeah difficult to difficult to I speak to other people and looking in like my ex-girlfriends and stuff and they they felt they felt that way I didn't really notice it that way mm. I, I don't know I sort of felt I don't know I think my mum made up for all of it she was so loving it was it, but then when you look back you think yeah, that was fucked up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because you left as soon as you could, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, 16, I was gone. So yeah. why do you think? Well, again, I wanted to be more with, with normal people, common people. I found everyone around me was fake, lying for the shit. And I enjoyed the people that were, even though probably the people from the street saw me as a a cash cow or maybe they took advantage in some ways, I was quite happy for them to do so because I had... I had uh, it cost me a couple of my dad's prints. <laughs> right. <laughs> then uh, I would uh, I would sort them out, you know. So then and then to be accepted and to have sort of a gang of friends for me was was all important at that age. So probably too important. And did you feel you did find real people? Either, yeah. Or was it something that so was almost like a transactional most, relationship? Most of them are dead now. Right. <laughs> From drugs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them are dead. I've got a couple. There's a couple left, you know, in prison or out of prison. So, yeah, we sort of ended up with not too many. But I've, I've got an amazing wife and children, so that's, that's, that's good enough. But a couple of uh, new friends that sort of pop in. And how did it start spiralling out of control? Just sort of being on my own, making my own decisions. You know, I left home when I was 16. They, they put me in my dad's brother's flat, Arthur, who died. But I stayed in his flat for a bit. I ruined it. I had parties and drugs, and and it wasn't nice drugs as well. It was it was it was it was it was a bit nasty. That got out of control. And then what happened was I uh, I went on tour. I started working for Harvey Goldsmith. I started being a roadie, and then I started sniffing more cocaine. Is that because you wanted to make your own money? Yeah, of course. And then Dad was so tight. Dad was so tight. I go, dude, I want to go out. I go, here's a tenner. Go, mate. Really? <laughs> uh, tenor, I'm not even getting there with tenor. So there, that was, uh, he was, so I needed to get my, my money. So yeah, started working for Harvey Goldsmith for a couple of years. And then I managed to get on the Stoners tour. I worked on the Stoners tour and a couple of other, I did Madonna and Eric Clapton, a little bit of Guns N' Roses. They were fun. Made some good money on that for two years. I come back, I was 21. I had 150 grand. I was like, this is fucking good. So then I I, I spent all that <laughs> on more drugs, more coke this time because every, the rock and roll business had, had shown me more. Everyone was on it, claiming towers, you know, it was mayhem. So I got home from that, had a load of money, spent lots of that, went off to America. So the drugs were cheaper there. Did, went to Atlanta, did a load of drugs in Atlanta and then had an accident on um, drugs. What happened? I sort of had a, I sort of OD'd. Yeah. And then ended up in hospital. I didn't know where I was, I had no clothes. <laughs> they didn't find me with any clothes. I didn't know what was going on. Then my mate picked me up who I was staying with. And then uh, then something weird happened. I, I went off to LA, tried to do more drugs and I couldn't. Something happened in my in my mind, something happened. I was- So I was physically or mentally? Mentally and physically. It portrayed something, I don't know what it was, but I used to get panic attacks. I used to start having these mad panic attacks, like fucking 
like just mad stuff physically would happen to me and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? This isn't good. You're listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson. There'll be more from us just after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to What I Wish I'd Known, in association with Speakers for Schools, with Rachel Sylvester and me, Alice Thompson. Did you tell your mum about any of this? Yeah, I used to phone my mum and go, Mum, I'm dying. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. She'd go, what are you taking? I'm dying. Help me. And she'd go, don't be so stupid. Get yourself together, you know, and have a go. I'm like, evil cow, I'm dying here. You don't care. But I wasn't dying. Was and she never came out and got you? No. And what about your dad, Ronnie? What no. did he... He came and picked me up from the police station a couple of times when I'd been arrested. He'd just been in a car crash, broke both his legs with my mum on the motorway. He came to the police station to pick me up. And as dad turned up, all the police gathered outside to shake his hand. Like, and they were all thinking, and then I've come out and he's just whacked me with the fucking crutch, like straight across the head. And all the police were sort of clapping. I was like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> uh, where's my cuddle? But no, no loyalty there, I'm afraid. So, uh, yeah. Could you go down. anywhere without people knowing who he was? No, it was annoying. Because that must be really weird that just... Yeah, it was just annoying. You can't even walk down the street. Then uh, it got worse as well as as, it, as as time goes on, it got worse. Do, do you think really fame bad. is just incredibly corrosive? Or is it actually a real burden? <sighs> What's it like being that famous? I don't know. I think it, I think it was different now than it was then mm. but then you were famous because you were good at something mm. you were really talented and Ronnie was a great guitarist Mick was a great singer Keith was you know Prince or Michael Jackson all these people we were around they were all talented people mm. so you admired and looked up to their talent now you're famous because you were on Good Morning or something I don't know mm. and you've got no talent you, you had to have something to mm. look up to and go this person's incredible was it also incredibly addictive, though, if you're famous? I mean, that's that you yeah. must get so used to that attention. Yeah, for him, it must be. He can do no mm. wrong, can he? Where he goes, mm. he's like, oh, you're a legend. We love you. Yeah. But harder if you're part of the family. Of course. Yeah, mm. you're, not, you're dealing with it. Just as the, that guy's been saying, you're a legend 10 minutes beforehand, he was, you know, shouting at my mum or something, you know, drunk. It's difficult. Mm. Difficult. But, you know, just, you just sort of uh, get on with it. How did your mum cope? Difficultly, you know. Tough. Jealousy. She was good, though. She'd know how to deal with it. She would, you know, usually get the woman in, get her drunk. <laughs> She'd make a fool of herself and then she would go. You know, she kept it together for 
a long time, you know, she, and she was both parents to me, my sister, and my mother. So mm. she's a powerful woman, the old girl. She's she's uh, fabulous. And you then ended up managing um, yeah. Ronnie for quite a while. That yeah. was did that not get really claustrophobic? Yeah, it was got a bit got a bit intense towards the end. Yeah, but it was it wasn't really something I wanted to do. I had a, an events business. I was working for Deutsche Bank. I was doing all the corporate events for them. I was doing the Brit Awards. I was at a good production company. Were you clean by then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as soon as that, that's at 21, I haven't done a class A drug for 28 years. So as soon as 21 and that started, weird stuff started happening, that was it. Even the weed, I just used to smoke a bit of old English hash. And that was it. No alcohol, nothing for, mm. for years and years. And then I got back into weed a little bit. But I never really was a drinker. I didn't, I hated alcohol. Hated what what I'd grown up with. It was awful. Alcohol is awful. Why is that? Do you think? I mean, everyone I know that's dead is most of them have died from alcohol. It's taken away so many people that are close to me that you know it's very. Uh, so is that what you remember from your childhood? More being frightened of alcohol than yeah, drugs. Yeah, alcohol was very yeah very prominent. You don't see drugs. That's the way. Mm. When you're a kid, you don't see them. Mm. It goes in the toilet, don't they? But alcohol, you uh, is everywhere. Mm. Thousands of glasses and alcohols. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, real nasty thing. And you started selling Ronnie's paintings? Yes, we were skin. <laughs> His house was in the red. I had my own businesses. He came to me and said, look, please help. I was the only one that he could trust or business in the family that knew anything about anything. We took over, I looked around. We had all this art that he'd made and invested in, all these prints. So I got distribution. We started selling them and it became quite easy it was easy it was an easy sell really you're selling signatures on pretty bits of paper and and it started going well and he started getting some accolade we started selling and then i started hitting up the sort of you know middle class stones fans <laughs> and they all had money lots of it so i was selling paintings for like a million dollars so why did you do the art was it to relax do you think well he's always an amazing artist mm. he always and it comes to any instrument he can play he can do any sort of art form Credit where credit's due, he's an incredible artist and musician mm. and he'd been doing that since art school. His, his brothers were also graphic designers and amazing artists as well. They did sign writing and all that when they were younger. So very artistic, talented family. To watch him you know, develop when I was looking after his career was, 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 was really nice too. I, I really enjoyed his art. Were there times when it was quite hard combining business and family like that? Yeah, yeah, all the time, especially yeah. when there was arguments and... It was difficult. It's family, isn't it? But then you think to yourself, well, what are you going to do without me? <laughs> so mm. it, was, it, was, uh, it was, you stay you stay in there and mum's there. And it wasn't just, I didn't just manage dad. It was it was mum. It was my, my brother and sister had a band. I put them in a band. They were working together. My other brother was working with me in the office. It's, it so was a like, real family. Sort of like a, so you're the responsible one. Yeah, I, I was responsible. The other lunatic was the responsible one. Yeah, and then it all started to go wrong when Ronnie came into the house with a cocktail waitress. <laughs> yes. Can you remember the night? That was a nightmare. Yeah, that was a nightmare because mum was mum was in a bad way and, and it was it was tough. Reporters following us down the road and stuff. Mm. And then he went to rehab and and then he he uh, he left. He went into rehab. Said he was coming home and never came home. So how did your mum deal with that? Yeah, great difficult for yeah. a while. Tough for her. It wasn't just that, it was lifestyle and everything. So yeah, tough for her, but she's powerful, you know, and she she, she held it. She didn't do what 
lots of people do today and get malicious, nasty or be horrible and awful when the press to mm. start slagging him off and nothing. She she kept her her dignity and, and was very nice to him. It was very nice, to, probably too nice. And what happened to your relationship with Ronnie? Yeah, not too much really. It was, you know, I managed him for time. Then then we were just negotiating. A, uh, I was, Dad's not a member of the Rolling Stones. So contractually, he's not part of the Stones. So it was a big problem for me, that was personally. And I wanted him to be an equal member. He gets equal for touring stuff, but album and, and Dad's thing was always, I didn't write Satisfaction, I wasn't there during them times, which is fair enough. But to be not part of the band was, was, was a problem. So we launched a little legal appeal to Mick and, and the band to try and, and, and sort that all out. Mick phoned me up, said it wasn't his fault that Ronnie sold his rights in the 80s. I was like that, but the day he phoned me up was the day he went into rehab with the matrix. So I tried all different angles. So I said to Mick, I was like, oh my God, I'm trying to get out of this one. So I said to Mick, I said, uh, oh, you know, the reason why he uh, he drinks is because he's not accepted as a member of the band. Mm. Well, that was trying to pull that out. Didn't work, didn't work. And then a month later, Mick was managing him. Did you feel at all liberated or a sense of relief that that sort of almost the business side had ended or, or were you just furious? No, it was a bit no. tough. I, I expected a bit more. Uh, I didn't expect him to go run and hide, but he didn't. He didn't really. It was difficult because he didn't. There was no argument or anything. There was just, yeah. uh, you know. And then obviously I was with my mum. My mum was devastated, mm. so I was very much on her side at the start. But did it feel like losing a dad in some ways? No, that happened a couple of years later, because you think to yourself, well, he's gonna. Let me have some time, let things, let the dust settle, mm. let the new relationships form and then see where you are. What I noticed is he came back to my brothers and, you know, started finding my brothers and sisters before me. So then you sort of know that, uh, yeah, that's about it. So. so did you feel that that was because you weren't his biological son? I guess so. I guess yeah, it, it, I, it, well, it's difficult, isn't it? So if I put yourself in that position, mm. I've got this little brat <laughs> fucking running around, fucking stopping me, shagging his mum. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, different for me because I grew up with him being my dad, didn't I? I didn't yeah. really know it any different for, for him, though. He always knew he wasn't my dad. And it also takes a very unselfish, special sort of person to take on someone else's kid and, and, and then be there when their mum and dad split, when they mm -hmm. split up. It's, it's, it's quite... I've, I've spoke to lots of parents that have, and lots of times they don't. Mm. Stay in contact with the kids anymore. That. But it must sort of make you reassess your childhood as mm. well, because you're constantly thinking, yeah. actually, was he really my dad all that time? Yeah, but the fact is, the fact that he didn't, because he was so high, okay. <laughs> there wasn't them like them kind moments right. that that you miss. So what did you miss that, then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the. Uh, did you miss some of the kind of excitement and the touring? And maybe, the going, maybe going back, you know, to some mm. concerts. Because I, I went back to a concerts after mum and dad split up. I went to a few a few shows and it was, uh, I shouldn't have gone. It was it was different. My mum not being there and watching another woman be with him was tough for me anyway. So, Did you ever talk to the other woman at all? Sally, yeah, at times. At times. Sally used to work at the Jury Lane with me doing his art. And he was always flirting with her. So I wasn't too surprised that they got together. But she's she seems like a 
a, a good influence, good woman for him. You said that you felt he hadn't shown any loyalty to you. Did you feel that? Yeah, that was Did you more feel the that work, That was more of the work mm. side of things. You know, when when the work side of things happened, it was uh, it was you know, see you later. There was no thanks for ten years. He didn't yeah. really pay me or nothing, so okay. there was no contract. And then these lawyers, the Stones lawyers, just said, "See you later." You so know. brutal, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, black and white, right? The lawyers, you can't really. I can't argue with too much of it. If, uh, it's my fault. I should have. Uh, I should have had a, a contract. Mm. And then you had a health scare when you yeah. were forty-two. How did that happen? Yeah, that was uh, that was just smoking, lots of cigarettes, smoked loads of fags. And I was really fit at the time. I was boxing. I was training hard, and and then I just got this. Uh, it wasn't. It was just like a weird. It wasn't even a pain. It was like a dull ache. I said to my wife, "You massage me." She gave me a little massage, and then uh, I was sick. Then I went to bed, some lemsip and a joint. Stayed in bed for two days. You know, got out of bed. Said I'm going to go to work. I worked in Fitzrovia, so my wife said stop at Harley Street. Got to Harley Street. Went to the doctor. Fire alarm went off, so he went outside and he's gone. No, I said, I'm going to go. And he's gone, no, 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 come do an ECG. Went to the ECG, come back, because you're having a heart attack. I said, what? He goes, I said, no, I'm not. He goes, it's stupid. He goes, no, no, you're having a heart attack. I said, dude, let me do 10. I started doing push-ups. He's going, no, no, no. What are you doing? What are you doing? So I was like, what? Next thing, the stretcher turns up at the thing, yeah. at, the, at the doctor's. And I went, what are you doing with the stretcher? So they got on the stretcher, I'm taking selfies. I'm like, saying, don't worry, honey, I'm having a heart attack. It's okay. You know, so I got to St. Bart's and there was like 10 people waiting for me. I was like, oh, this is actually... This is serious. This is so actually why didn't real. you think, did you sort of almost feel invincible? Well, you did. It's, it's not really like, there was no pain. Mm. It's not a heart attack. Usually like, I wanna, mm. my arm wasn't hurting. There was nothing. They'd done, they went in and they put me on the screen and they, they put two stents in, unblocked the archery. It was a good archery to have blocked. It was the, the least one. Did was, they say it was cigarettes or drug yeah, use? Yeah, or... cigarettes. She was convinced, my heart doctor, that I did cocaine. Convinced. I was like, no, <laughs> I haven't done it in 28 years. Do you think it was related to your previous drug use or not really? No, I think so. It's I too think it's just following in the archery mm. uh, thing. So, they, they, you know, they got me on hold. Like, I have to take statins now and stuff, which my mum absolutely drives me mad about every day. What are you taking there? I said, Mum's very hard not to say to the doctor, no, I'm not going to take that. Mm. So that was difficult. So and how did Ronnie react? I well, I got texts from my brother. I got texts from both my brother and, and Ronnie. That's it. So I hope you're doing okay. So what are you like as a father? Are you very different to Ronnie? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> you're I'm the there. total opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I mean, we're a team, aren't we? Me and the wife, she does. She deals with certain things. I tried to be more the tough love. You know, my, my son is, is, is my, my oldest 23-year-old, he's not Jodie's son, he's Charlotte's son. He, he works with me four days a week in the lab, so he's with me. Then I've got Leah, who's 18, who's a two-time national champion in the England squad. For boxing. For boxing. boxing, yeah. It's amazing, up and down the country. That's an incredible journey, actually. I've got Frank Warren offering contracts and stuff. I was worried about him. He was, he was naughty. He was naughty, but now he's Mr. Sensible. I said to him the other day, I said, what happened to you? I'm a really boring dude now. <laughs> I used to be causing trouble and all that. Now you're just sort of sitting there, like boxing all the time, but so much discipline. And he, the training, the work rate he puts in is incredible. And then the other one's 14, he's at school, and they've got little Bo, who's seven, and he's running around. And do they know Ronnie at all? Bo doesn't. 
Oh, it doesn't. Kobe did. Uh, Leo very much so. Leo and Charlie and, and 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 Dad never got on great, but Leo and Dad were very good together, which is more upsetting why they they haven't got a relationship now. But because they must have similar, he's got new, uh, younger children now, hasn't he? He yeah, must yeah, be a yeah, similar yeah. kind of age. Near near so, near Bo. Yeah, near Bo. Yeah, met the kids. Bo's met the kids and all that, but Bo doesn't know. And sometimes it's probably a, a good thing because they're yeah. otherwise because their their granddad and my, my wife's dad died, and he was proper, a proper granddad, loyal, you know, in there mm-hmm. raising, you know, putting the effort in. He would have loved to see the boxing. He would have gone mad for that. He died about the same time they got divorced, and then my dad died. My biological dad he died a year later, two years later. So they're all dead. Mm. Oh, dropping my flies. No yeah. granddads. No granddads. Oh, but they've got you. <laughs> they got me. They got and they got my mum, who's fantastic, and my wife's mum as well, who's who's great. After and then you set well. up a company, didn't you? A CBD company. Yes. Yes. Why well, do you think you went back to drugs in a way as a, as well, a we commercial went, enterprise? Yeah. No. Because what happened is we. I had lots of businesses. So I had I had a burger, a chain of burger restaurants called Burgerfy. I had um, I had art galleries. I had events business. I was. A busy man and then um i had the heart attack and and i couldn't work and they said no work for six months no stress no this that was difficult you know i, I had to watch everything i just put a million quid into i remortgage my house i put a million quid into the burger thing i had all my like, most of my money in that and then uh the events company was still doing good and then uh yeah i had the heart attack and i had to i had to watch it go to the pot, basically. I couldn't raise the money. No one wanted to invest in me and now I was in I was dying. And uh, yeah, tough, tough times, I'm yeah. afraid. Um, so that backfired a little bit. I was really determined this time to do something that I was, that I wanted to do. Everything I'd ever done, it was always for other people. The burger restaurant was for something for my mum initially and then she pulled out and left me, you know, I don't know, I'm, the, the stuff with Ronnie was all for him. Everything was for someone else. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to try and do something for myself. And I looked about, I went to America. Cannabis was just becoming legal. It was going off over there. I started studying it. I started working with people, doing extraction. And just for something I'd already, you know, that I grew up smoking with Bob Marley and Keith Richards when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was, it felt very natural. I had the heart attack. The doctor said I couldn't smoke anymore. It was my happy place. I could do anywhere, be anywhere in the world, but as long as I had a joint, I was fine. <laughs> so he took away that. And I, so I've gone home and, I, you know, it was a tough recovery. And then, then uh, I started drinking. I never really drank before, so mm. I was busting open a bottle of wine and that. I needed something. And then I was just a bit depressed. So about six months later, I went back to the doctor and said, listen, this is shit. I can't, I can't live like this. I, I'm not going to smoke, but... Let me vape it or let me eat it. <laughs> so he gave me these beta blockers that keep my my heart, you know, steady. It's because cannabis can mix, mix up the thing. I went and got a, a cannab- cannabis medical card, signed up, prescription. So I got all my prescriptions and stuff. And then uh, I started vaping it, but it tasted horrible. It didn't taste like weed and I needed to taste weed. So I went on a mission to find something to flavour because the THC itself is flavourless. So you have to take it, once you've got the THC, you reflavor it with the essential oil. So I went to America and we found this 3,000-year-old process of steaming distillation, like you do lavender. 
So we'd go to the farms, the cannabis farms out there. We would go buy the offcuts and bits of crap. Still very nicely tasting. And we would put it all into a still and we would steam it. And then we would take the oil and we would send it back to England. And this is it. So you just take it and you just... Inhale. Supposed to inhale it, but... And you just taste it, basically. So you've got your own lab, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, well, now I've got my qualifications. So it is a bit like Breaking Bad in a it way. It is, but, but more legal <laughs> But legal. Now. Yeah. And none of these are addictive. Off. No, 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 no. It's like lavender. And the Rolling Stones are about to release another album. Is that oh, going to have did, an effect they? on you? They did, didn't they? They always... Uh, no, no, I mean, only that is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Do you hate I, it now? No, I don't, no, I don't know. I love, their, I love their music, but what I don't understand is what happened. Why can't they write an amazing album like they used to, like mm. with Satisfaction? And I said, who died? They actually used to write the songs. Because since 1978, I don't think I've heard a good Stone song. And they've continually tried hard for years to try and make a good album, but they uh, it's just nothing compares to, to what they but it's amazing they, they can still pack out a stadium oh, yeah. in their seventies. I mean, do you ever time. wish they sort of retire gracefully? Do you should kind do of it. now they should? Now I feel that it's time. Why but do you think I, they all keep going? Well, I, I, I don't know. Because I think money or well, no, no, I think mm. so much. Maybe for dad it's money, but for for Mick and Keith, I think it's due to uh, their influences. They're very much influenced by people like uh, you know. Uh, Fats Domino and Jerry Lewis and these are the people I grew up listening to, the reggae's and these people don't 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 stop until they die. Yeah. In some ways you have to admire them though, don't you? Oh of course. Of course. Very much. I've got nothing but good things to say about them. And and they're amazing. They're but also incredible. fame must be addictive, like drugs, yeah. do you think, or not as much? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're genuinely famous for the right reasons, because you've got great talent, then I guess that's just who you are and you're just going to roll about. I guess if you're fake famous, mm. you're always walking about waiting to be cancelled, right? People that have got the real talent, you can try and cancel them and they survive. Don't they? Look at uh, David Beckham when he did that and everyone hated him and they were burning Ulysses and burning him at the airport. He came back, he got his head down, he played great football and he won everyone back. Mm. And what's your relationship like now with Ronnie? Yeah, not too bad. You know, nothing really, dude, to be fair. I don't really, you know, I, I text him, happy birthday. It's got it's got less and less over the last mm -hmm. couple of years. But um, Do you sort of wish it could go back to how it was or is it the moment past? I don't know. I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? It's not really about me. I, I always look at it about the kids. And if you're yeah. going to come back into my kids' life, I wouldn't trust him to stay there. Mm. And none of your kids want to go into the music industry? no. <laughs> So you said once that you'd sort of been living in the shadow of the stones all your life. And yeah. in, in some ways it sounds as if you still are. Or do you feel like now you've emerged from the shadow? Well, yeah. I suppose it's difficult. If it was, maybe if I was a musician, I would feel that way. Yeah. But because uh, I'm not welcome anymore, it's probably uh, the shadow is, is not involved, which is a good thing. But they are, it's drama. You've got to remember that life is drama. It is consistent drama there's always something going wrong there's always a problem here there's always this there's always that <sighs> and you sort of solved problems almost didn't you i mean that, yeah, you, you seem very responsible as a child there was and then there's of... this weird point when 
in some ways your life sort of been ruined in some ways by drugs, but in other ways you've now used it. I've you? used it as as the catalyst to try mm. and build a Change. career. Yeah, try and find out what makes me happy. And you know, listen, I don't make as much money now as I used to. I've made a lot more money with the events and the stone stuff and all that. But it's not really about money now. It's about um, it's about doing what I want to do. Are you so, happier now? Yeah, much happier. I can. I've got my little lab. <laughs> And I can go but and make it, some stuff. It's almost as if you've taken the thing that was the most negative and turned it into a positive. Yeah. Is that deliberate? It feels right. It feels good. You know, now as well, I just started my, my enrolled in a new college course doing herbalism as well. So I want to learn about more more plants because cannabis sort of paves that way to the the biological the bottomy of, uh, of of plant life. So, do you think if you actually hadn't had that childhood, you might have ended up as a scientist? I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the science films. I love it. even at school. I used to love it. I used to love my Bunsen burners and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I never liked physics that much, but I was good at maths and I was good at, at science and a little bit of biology. But biology is coming in handy now. So. <laughs> And thinking back to your sort of self age five when you were thrust into this extraordinary <laughs> life and like no one was giving you breakfast and <laughs> it was all completely insane and you having to get yourself to school. What do you wish you'd known then that you know now? Oh, I don't know. It's a tough one. Probably lots. <laughs> don't take drugs. Don't trust dad. <laughs> you know, a few things like that. I don't know, but definitely... Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way because maybe I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be such a, an amazing father if I uh, hadn't been through what I've been through. So everything very much happened for a reason. I've certainly believed that. And what goes around comes around. So I'm big into all that. Without a doubt, it would uh, it would be uh, drugs are bad. You've been listening to What I Wish I'd Known in association with Speakers for Schools, the youth social mobility charity that provides inspirational talks and work experience opportunities with me, Rachel Sylvester. And me, Alice Thompson. The series producer is Anya Pierce, and the editor was Callum McRae. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not pick up a copy of our book, What I Wish I'd Known When I Was Young? Or you can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. And of course, you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the free Times Radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts.